Sunday. Doesn't seem to do a great job every week. For those of you who aren't here every week, just take my word for it. And tomorrow's her birthday. Happy birthday, Cindy. I want to focus this morning on the message. Not the message Bible, but the Bible, the message. Both the message and the messenger. Paul writes to Timothy. Think about it this week. What's the most important message you've ever received? It could be that you're pregnant. It could be that you've been accepted into college. It could be that your cancer is in remission or you are cancer-free. It could be somebody that you prayed for has gotten better. I, I thought about what the most important message I've received. And I thought about, you know, now you get messages on your phone. And some of you are thinking, well, duh. But, you know, voicemail hasn't been around forever. I grew up in a house that had one phone on the wall in the kitchen and if you didn't answer it before it quit ringing, you were done. So if you're in the back of the house, you ran to try to grab it, and you were kind of tethered to the wall. We finally added a, a, a cord to make the cord a little longer so you could do other things. But most of the time, you're kind of standing here talking on the phone. And it was a cool day when you added an answering machine. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? Some of you. These are the old people in the crowd. <laughs> that are saying, yeah, you, you'd come in, you'd check your messages. Of course, you know, there's still answering machines, but a lot of people don't have house phones anymore and all that. Try to think of, have I ever received an important message? And yeah, there's times that you received a message, you're glad you had a, a gathering device. Now, of course, you get those on your cell phone, you get your text messages or whatever. What's the most important message you've ever received? And then the question is, what's the most important message you've ever delivered? Have you ever gotten to deliver just really good news? Well, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy this morning, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And Paul really challenges Timothy around the issue of the message that he's delivering. So it's a message from Paul to the messenger, Timothy. So I want to read the first couple of verses of chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We'll eventually get through verse, verse 5. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. It's important to know the importance of this message. When Paul uses a term like, I solemnly charge you, and that, if that wasn't enough, then he says, in the presence of God and Lord Jesus who's come to judge you, do you think what he's saying is important? Also, if you know the context of when he said this, Paul wrote 1 Timothy. Then he probably wrote Titus and Philemon, and he writes 2 Timothy last. It's really the last thing Paul's going to say on this earth because the next passage we'll look at later Next week or following is Paul recognized he's about to die. He's now in a dungeon, worst prison he's going to be in. He's been beaten. And Paul gets an opportunity to write a letter to his beloved child in the faith. Wouldn't you think that's important? If you knew I've got a few days to say the last thing I'm ever going to say to you, you're not going to mess around with stuff that's not important. And so when Paul says, I solemnly charge you, what a great way of 
introduce him, what he's about to say. I think Timothy's ears should be perked up at this point. Timothy, here's my solemn charge, a forceful order or directive. And then he talks about who the audience is, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. I think Paul's reminding Timothy, Timothy, I'm not your audience. I want to hear good things from you, but I'm not ultimately who's watching you. Even the audience of your church where you're proclaiming the Word of God, that's not the audience we're focused on either. It's God. I want to remind you of that. When we sing, when we worship God, we're not singing for a worship leader. We're not singing for the person beside you. They might not even think you sing good. That's why they make me sit over here away from people. But God thinks it's a joyful noise. God says he's enthroned upon the praises of his people. And so Timothy needed to be reminded, Paul's not the only one watching because Paul's not going to be around forever, and Paul's not even there in Ephesus any longer. So Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God, Timothy, and Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is coming to judge everybody, the living and the dead, and his decision is final. And by his appearing in his kingdom, and here's the charge, preach the word. And in case you're sitting there thinking, well, this message doesn't apply to me because I'm not a preacher. If you're a child of God, this message applies to you because you are a proclaimer of what God has left for you to be a steward of, and that is his word. If you're not a child of God, this message is for you too because we're going to get around to the fact that in the last days, there's going to be people who don't even want to hear the gospel anymore. So this message is for everybody. Can we agree with that? This isn't just for Timothy because his name's on the letter. It's not just for preachers because there's not many in our midst. There's some. But it's for everybody. And Paul says, preach the word. The word preach literally means to herald. It was used of the town crier that would go out back in those days. They didn't have amplification. They didn't have speakers. So if they wanted to get the word out quickly, they would send somebody out all over town just shouting at the top of his lungs. And it could be, the king is coming. So when Paul says preach, that's the word to herald, to proclaim that he's talking about. And then he says what he's to preach is the word. Preach the word, especially challenging. What we learn about Timothy from First and Second Timothy is Timothy was timid. And yet Paul's saying, go out even when it's popular and not popular, Timothy, and loudly proclaim the truth of the gospel, the word. So to get to what the Word is, we've got to back up to chapter 3. I think the pivotal verse and verses of 2 Timothy is chapter 3, 16 and 17. That's why I started there way back in May. First Sunday in May, that's our passage was chapter 3, 16 and 17. Then we kind of started back into the book of 2 Timothy on Mother's Day. We talked about a godly heritage because Timothy had been greatly influenced by his godly grandmother, his godly mother, and now the Apostle Paul. But what is the word? Well, let's look at verse 16 of chapter 3. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. I want you to see those two things. So two things that Paul has taught us about the word is, first of all, it's inspired. Secondly, it's profitable. He unpacks profitable a little, little bit more. And that is it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the Word of God, first of all, is inspired. And I didn't really say this 
fact, the first Sunday in May, because it hit me this week as I was studying. What does the word inspire mean? It means God-breathed. The Word of God is God-breathed. And what words he talking about? Well, certainly he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. But he uses that word in the first part of chapter 3, or earlier in chapter 3. He uses a different word now. And I think he's talking about there's now the parts of the New Testament, including the very letter he's writing to Timothy, which would become part of the New Testament, Second Timothy. All of God's Word, the Bible, is God-breathed. It's inspired. You and I hear about something being inspired. You say, man, that artist. You look at a great piece of art, whether it's an oil painting or something somebody's constructed, and you say, look at that. wonder what her inspiration was. wonder what his inspiration was. And we think about somebody being inspired by something they had experienced, or maybe a songwriter. Their inspiration was another artist, or maybe an experience they had walking in the mountains, or seeing the majesty of the ocean, and they were inspired. Notice that it doesn't say here that Timothy or the author of the New Testament or author of the Old Testament was inspired. It's the very Word of God that's inspired. It's God-breathed. So the first thing we know about Scripture is it's inspired. It's God-breathed. And let me share this with you. Your Word doesn't carry that same weight. Talk more about that in a minute. It's also profitable. Literally, it's advantageous. It's helpful. It's beneficial. It's productive. It's a promise of blessing from God that His Word not only is breathed by God, but it's profitable. It has value in four specific areas. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable to instruct. Why do we need to be taught? Well, you can't believe something you don't know. And I think one of the greatest illustrations or example of knowing the Word of God is Jesus Himself. When Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, you remember that? Matthew chapter 4 and other places in, in the Gospels, he's led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. We see the big three at the end of 40 days and 40 nights. And every time Satan tempted Jesus, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. Sign for us. That's how we overcome temptation. Quote Scripture. Know the truth. Satan will come with these half-truths that are whole lies. And Jesus said, no, it's, you know, first temptation was, why don't you turn that stone over there into bread? If you hadn't eaten in 40 days, stone kind of looks like a loaf of bread, and you're kind of thinking, I'm hungry. Could Jesus have turned the stone into bread? Yeah. When Satan tempted him to do it, what did Jesus do? He didn't turn the stone into bread. He reminded Satan of the truth of the Scripture, and that is, I'm fed by every word of God. My bread is every word of God. And, and tempted three times, every time he, he quotes Scripture. So Scripture is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. We don't like being reproved, but reproof is where Scripture, as you open the Word of God, whether it's in a setting like this or in your own study every morning, the Word of God is able to say, that's wrong. Reproof. It brings conviction. It refutes error. It convicts of misbehavior. How do you respond to reproof? Well, there's some people that are going to stick their fingers in the ears because they don't want to hear it anymore. One way to respond is to be corrected. So the Bible's not only profitable for teaching and for reproof, it's also profitable for correction. This word would be used to help somebody get up off their feet. That's what the Word of God is able to do. It's able to help you stand back up right again. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. The original meaning was bringing up a child. So the Word of God 
profit you by helping you grow up in things of righteousness and point you in the right way. The other thing about Scripture is not only is it inspired by God, not only is it profitable, and I could have done a bunch of these, but I just one that I did was out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active. And, and I think we need to know that. When you open the Bible in the morning, when you open the Bible at night before you go to bed, when you read God's words, understand it's not just black words or red words on the white page in a book. It's the inspired Word of God that is alive. And it's able. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of joint and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the Word of God that we're talking about this morning. So when Paul says, Timothy, preach the Word, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about Timothy's opinions. He's talking about what Timothy's been taught from godly grandmother and godly mother and Paul himself over the years. Timothy, that's what you share with people. And then he gives four directives to that. First of all, be ready. Timothy, be ready. Literally, to be to stand upon. It was used of a soldier ready to go into battle at a moment's notice. The Roman army, Paul became one of Paul's illustrations. Why? Because Paul was in a prison and he saw a lot of Roman guards. So he looked at them and thought, you know, just like they're ready to grab their shield and their spear and get out in the battle. That's what he's encouraging Timothy to do. Timothy, be ready. How do you be ready? Well, first is study for yourself. Know the Bible. It's good to come to church and be fed by a preacher. It's good to be in a Sunday school class or a small group where you're being fed, where you're helping to feed one another. But ultimately in your life, one way you're going to be ready is you've learned to feed yourself. You're not dependent on somebody to do it for you. And then be on the lookout for opportunities. Another way to be ready is just look. God's going to lead you into opportunities, sovereignly, supernaturally created opportunities, but you've got to be on the lookout for them. And sometimes that just means listening. It may be a conversation you have at work or at school, in your home, in your neighborhood, at the mall, and you realize this person's seeking truth. This person's asking for an answer. So be listen to what people say and questions they ask. Another way that you're ready is you don't wait until you know everything. I've had people use that excuse. Man, I had an opportunity to share the other day, but I just I was afraid they were going to ask a question and I didn't know the answer to it. What do you do when somebody asks, asks a question you don't know the answer to? Just make something up. No, don't do that. <laughs> if somebody asks a question you don't know the answer to, say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. I'll help you find an answer to that. So let's get back to the subject. Don't wait till you think you know everything because I don't know anybody that does other than God. I've been preaching a long time. And if this comes as a shock to you, it's going to shock you. I don't know everything. Neither does your preacher. So be ready. And the fourth thought is pray. Pray. Ask God for opportunities. God's going to lead people by your path that he knows you're ready to share with. So take advantage of those opportunities. So Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Timothy, be ready when it's convenient and inconvenient. Be ready regardless of whether they're going to listen or not. Sometimes you share the truth of God's Word and you don't immediately see fruit. But what do we know about Scripture? It's living and active. Your Word's not. 
So you plant Scripture in people's head and in their mind and in their hearts, God can cause it to bear fruit. You may never know about it, but you're just faithful. You're ready and faithful. So Timothy, be ready. In season and out of season, reprove. This is literally disclosing the sinfulness of sin. Timothy, there's going to be times that you preach the Word of God and it's going to expose just how sinful sin is. It's going to affect the mind. Or excuse, excuse me, yeah, the mind. Reprove, rebuke. This affects the heart. This discloses the sinfulness of the sinner. So Timothy, the Word of God that you're ready to proclaim is going to rebuke, it's going to reprove, but it's also going to exhort. And I love what he says about exhortation with great patience and instruction. Patience both on your own behalf, because you're going to get up and share sometimes, or you're going to tell somebody something at the mall, and you're not going to see immediate response, and you're going to say, well, I blew that. I'm not going to do that again. No, you're patient, both with yourself, but also with the person you're sharing with. It may be that you're simply building truth into their life that one day will bear fruit, and you may not be around to see it, or you may be. So Timothy, reprove, rebuke, also exhort, literally encourage with great patience. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. So one of the things we know from Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. So how do we get patience? Well, you can ask for it, but you can also walk by the Spirit, and it will be applied in your life and added to your life with great patience and instruction. To simply reprove and rebuke without instruction doesn't fix anything. It just says, that's wrong, but it doesn't tell how to make it right. So we share the Word of God with instruction. Let, let me just share a few thoughts that I jotted down this week when I thought about the importance of preaching the Word. One is, it lets God speak instead of me. If I stand up and just preach the newspaper or preach my opinion talk to you about something I saw on television, that doesn't carry the weight of the Word of God. It allows God to speak. It forces the preaching of the entire counsel of God. If all you preach or all you speak is topical stuff, you're not going to hit the whole counsel of God. You just hit your pet project or your pet, uh, pet topic. It promotes biblical literacy. I, I've sat in sermons before where I thought, where did, where did he get that? Because it wasn't from the Bible. But if you understand what you just heard from Scripture, you can research and study on your own. It encourages you to read the Bible. It carries the ultimate authority. The other reason that's important is what Paul says next. The time is short. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. The reason you're to preach the Word and to preach it this way, Timothy, is the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. The time will come. He's not talking about a time on your watch. He's talking about a generation, an epoch, an era that is coming. Hadn't happened yet in Timothy's day. It started to. But folks, in our day, the time's come when people won't endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear it. They won't endure uncorrupt instruction. In fact, the word sound is where we get the word hygiene. It means healthy. They won't endure healthy doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. 
literally just to scratch the eardrum. What they're hearing will never penetrate to their head or their heart. It's just going to kind of make them feel good and have their ears tickled, scratching their eardrum. What will they do? They'll start accumulating. The word literally means to heap upon themselves. They won't listen to sound doctrine, but they'll find preachers, they'll find teachers, they'll find people that tell them what their itching ears want to hear, and they will heap those people up around them. The time's coming, Timothy, when that's going to take place, and they're going to heap up teachers in according to their own desires or lusts. In fact, they will turn away their ears. They will run away. It, it reminds me of watching my sister-in-law when she was a lot younger. Anytime something scary came on the television, she put her fingers in her ears and go, na 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 because she didn't want to hear it. You know, stuff's a lot scarier in the movies and television because it's backed up with music. You know, I've always thought if I was about to get into something dangerous and that music started playing, I would know not to go there or do that. So I need, I need a soundtrack accompaniment, apparently. But she would do that, stick her fingers in her ears, and that's, that's, the illustra- that's the picture I get from what Paul's saying. They don't want to hear the truth, so they'll heap up false teachers among themselves, and if the truth ever gets past them, they'll just stick their fingers in their ears. They'll turn away their ears so they don't have to hear it. It's kind of like if your house is on fire and the smoke detector goes off. It may mean the bread's burning. But it may mean the house is on fire. And one of your options is, I don't want to hear that. No, 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 unplug that. Or maybe you ought to figure out why the smoke detector's going off. Because there's smoke. And where there's smoke, there's what? Fire. A hotel in, in Surfside burned one day. And this lady was out on the bypass. She said, well, my husband's a fireman. And I knew when I saw that smoke, something must be on fire. I thought, I don't have a husband. My wife's not a fireman, but I knew that. (laughs) So if your house is on fire, you want to listen to somebody say, hey, you might want to get out or use a fire extinguisher. Call the fire department. Put it out. And the verse that knocked me out of my chair this week, I've read this verse before from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 5, 31. Jeremiah prophesying says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. How convicting of our generation that what Paul prophesied is going to happen. Timothy, the time is coming when people aren't going to listen to sound doctrine. The reason it's so important that you preach the word when you have the opportunity to preach the word is because some people are going to become entombed in truth. You meet people all the time that you say, have you ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they'll answer, yes. But you get behind the answer a little bit, and they're banking on the fact their parents were Christians. Or they joined a church. They walked the aisle. They made a profession of faith. They're in a Christian nation. I've told you before, my first year here, right after the Easter sunrise service, ran into a lady in a restaurant. She said, you're the new preacher at the chapel, aren't you? I said, yes. She said, you're going to love it here. Everybody's a Christian. Well, I've been here almost 19 years now, and I can tell you, everybody ain't a Christian. Sorry, English teacher. Everybody's not a Christian. There's a lot of religious people in this world. But Paul's saying that's why it's important, Timothy, because the day's coming when people will accumulate false teachers around them, and they're going to love it. Why they love it? Because they're saying what they want to hear, not what they need to hear.
So then the responsibility of the message, last half, last verse, verse 5, but you. So Paul said, Timothy, here's, preach the word. Timothy, here's what's coming. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. One of the last instructions that Paul gives to Timothy in his life is, Timothy, be sober in all things. Don't allow anything in this world to get you intoxicated to the point that you don't see the truth of what's going on. Timothy, be watchful. Be alert. Have a sober mind, unwavering, steadfast, level-headed. Endure hardship. That'll bless you. Thanks for that, Paul. What's Paul saying? Timothy, things are going to get hard. You're going to endure hardship. There's no such thing as faithful ministry that's not costly. We talked about persecution. Paul talked about it a lot. Jesus even said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. So the longer you live with Christ, there's going to be times that it hurts. There's times it's costly. You may lose friends over it. And some people in other parts of the world are being beaten today because of their faith in Christ. Some will lose their lives. One of my concerns for India is if you try to reach 10 million people, there's a lot more millions of people that don't want you to do that. We've had interpreters in India that were beaten the week before we got there. And you know what they do? They're back up sharing the gospel. Paul said to Timothy, endure hardship. Paul's writing from a dungeon to tell Timothy, endure hardship. And guess what? Timothy does endure hardship. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom if he comes soon, I will see you. So Timothy may have never been in prison up until after 2 Timothy, but ultimately he goes to prison. We don't know for how long. We just know he did what Paul told him to do, endure hardship. Number three, do the work of an evangelist. Literally share the gospel. Paul was not calling Timothy an evangelist. If you've ever studied spiritual gift, there's a gift of evangelism. We're all called to share the gospel. I don't think Timothy had the gift of evangelism because of where he was. But he was called to do the work of an evangelist, which is simply what? Tell other people about Jesus. Bring people to faith in Christ. Allow God to use you to draw people to himself. That's the responsibility of all of us. And the last thing in the passage, fulfill your ministry. Literally carry out fully, entirely accomplish. Keep pointing people to Jesus. Fulfill the call on your life, Timothy. And I want to say that to all of us today. Let's live our lives in such a way that we fulfill the purpose that God has given you in ministry. There's four things as I close just as I thought about how to, how to put some handles on this. First, remember you're not doing the work alone. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit is within you, leading you, bringing you to where He wants you to be. The Holy Spirit opens hearts to belief. We don't. So remember who, that you don't work alone. Speak out of the overflow of your heart. Just tell people what God's done for you. If you're saying, I don't know the Roman road. I don't know the four spiritual laws. I don't know this, that, or the other thing. Well, first of all, get a plan. Learn something that you know how to unpack the gospel to people. But one thing you can do is just simply say, you know what? 
I came to faith in Christ three weeks ago or three years ago or 30 years ago. Tell people what God's done for you. Be ready when the opportunity comes. God will lead you when you're ready. And the last is don't be a compromising ear pusher. Sometimes the truth hurts. There's a proverb that says, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. What does that mean? If I need to know the truth, sometimes you need to tell me the truth. It may hurt, but it's for my best. So don't be some trendy, compromising ear pusher. Stand on the Word of God. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Just encourage you to think. Is the Word of God living and active for you? Are you asking God for opportunities to tell people about Him? Are you ready? Are you like Timothy? Timothy apparently was a little timid, but Paul kept encouraging him. Timothy, don't let that slow you down or stop you. Timothy faced opposition, and Paul would say, Timothy, don't let that slow you down or stop you. Father, I pray on behalf of us that we would be like Timothy, encouraged by the Apostle Paul, but more importantly, encouraged by you to be speakers, sharers, preachers of the Word. Thank you that we can rely on that. It's truthful. It's trustworthy. It's God-breathed. May that be the message that is the most important message we will ever deliver to the world. The truth about you. We pray that.